We all know Notre Dame's performance against Duke was far from perfect, but the Irish were still able to secure a huge win against a ranked opponent on the road, and I believe there are plenty of positive things from that game that can carry over through the rest of the season. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Irish, your daily Notre Dame podcast. Today is Tuesday, October 3rd, and thanks for making this your first listen each and every day. I'm Tyler Wojcik, and I'm the host. I graduated from Notre Dame in 2018, and now I'm a producer covering college football for Fox Sports. And today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off your first purchase. The everyday listeners know that on Tuesdays, Luke Smith and I share the three things we liked and didn't like from Notre Dame's game on Saturday. And considering the roller coaster that was the Duke game, there was certainly a lot to like and plenty to dislike, and we'll cover it all. So let's get right into it. All right, I'm here with Luke Smith for our three things of the week. But before we get to that, please give us a glimpse of what it was like watching the second half of that game through your eyes. Let's start with Notre Dame blowing the lead all the way through Howard Cross's strip sack to clinch it. It's a good question. I would say that I was very frustrated in the first half because it felt like it should have been 24 to zero. Um, And I just, it kind of felt inevitable that as the offense kept not being able to do anything, like you just couldn't ask the defense to hold on for that long, even though Duke really couldn't do anything against them for pretty much halfway through the, until halfway through the third quarter. Um, But then uh, I guess when Duke took the lead and just having gauged how poorly the offense had looked all night, I, I'm not even going to say I was like angry. I was just like, I can't believe this is how this whole thing is going to just like, there's not going to be any meaning after this uh, in terms of the season. I'm not talking about life, but maybe. I <laughs> um, and to be totally honest with you, like the fourth and 16 run, I just, I don't think I had any hope in my mind that he was going to make that first down. Like I, I didn't think anybody was going to get open. The run was remarkable. And then like, even then, I'm thinking, ah, oh, shoot, like we can't have this kicker attempt a field goal. So thankfully, uh, Estimate broke that one. And then I, I felt pretty good at that point, especially once I got the two-point conversion. I'm like, all right, they're going to yeah. be all right now. But that um, all I could think as I was like leaving or like leaving that game was I cannot imagine how miserable I would have been had they lost that game. I had a glimpse into how miserable I would be because it was that state during the game, and it was really rough. I, I didn't say much during the fourth quarter. I just sort of sat there and watched it, and the occasional throw my hand up in the air like, are you serious? Is this really how it's all going to end? And you're right. Like You think about the, all the preseason hopes, the expectations, Sam Hartman being there, and for it to potentially end – and it's just such a gross game against Duke on the road. And I know that Duke's a good team, but still just the optics there would have been really, really tough. And you made make a good point about the kicker and how little confidence we have, and I'm sure we're going to get to that. I didn't even realize that Notre Dame could win the game on a field goal until about halfway through that drive because I had not been able to even consider the fact that Notre Dame would make a game-winning field goal. Like I was like, well, they have to score a touchdown here. Like they're not, even though they're only down one, they have to score a touchdown here. Yeah. I I don't know that I really, I mean, I knew they could obviously, but it just seemed so far removed from the realm of possibilities that I just, I didn't think about it. Um, yeah, it, it was funny. Like 
I wasn't really looking at my phone a lot towards the end of the game. And then going back after the game and looking at the hundreds of text messages that poured in across threads, like people saying like, do we even go to USC if they lose? Like just like things like that. Like um, I'm glad that uh, we don't have to consider that ultimatum now, but yeah. I just went through our text uh, before, or excuse me, during the game prior to the end there. And uh, they are not suitable for this podcast, (laughs) but let's just say morale was low, but Notre Dame did win. And there's a lot of positives to take away from this win. So what's your first thing that you liked? Starting with Maris Leofau. He was really outstanding in this game and just seemed to really cause a lot of confusion for Riley Leonard all night. I mean, outside of the injury, I, I would think that Riley Leonard is having some nightmares of Maris Leofau, to be honest, because he ended up with six tackles, half a sack, half a tackle for loss, and he recovered a fumble, but he just looked really explosive. And it was how he looked the first four games last week. I know that they said he didn't have any tackles. I don't think that's right. Like, I know I saw him on in some tackles. Regardless, he didn't have a great game against Ohio State. Um, and to see him bounce back and whatever stinger he was dealing with against Ohio State appears to be in the past, that was good. He played a huge role in the, in the game Saturday night. He did. Finished with six tackles, uh, half duck for loss, and then he was in that play at the very end on the strip sack. And it's about time Notre Dame actually recovered a fumble. Because they should have before the half, too. (laughs) Seriously. Although they did kind of get one uh, when Duke somehow was not able to recover the muffed punt. But it was a really terrific game by Maris Leofau. And for all the people who question his athletic ability, he was running stride stride for stride with Riley Leonard at multiple points. Like He tried to take the outside, and Maris Leofau was on him and making a play. And he really stymied Riley Leonard's running ability for most of the game. As the game wore on and Notre Dame's defense was on the field for what felt like forever, like, yes, he did get some yards and he had that one big run. I thought Notre Dame's linebackers and specifically Maris Leifau did a great job of keeping him in check and really just giving him a really bad night because he wasn't throwing the ball well either. And that was in large part to the pass rush and specifically Maris. 100%. I mean, they they didn't get a ton of help from the offense here, but um, really they were kind of the reason that Notre Dame – ultimately won that game outside of Sam Hartman's heroics. And, and he played a big role in that as well as the other linebackers. Um, so yeah, I, I can't speak enough about kind of his performance on Saturday night. Sticking with the defense. The first thing that I liked, um, I really did not talk about him enough in yesterday's episode. Howard cross in his performance was really unbelievable. Like you look at the stat line, it jumps off the page right away. He had 13 total tackles, three and a half TFLs, a quarterback hurry, plus the game-winning strip sack. But then when I rewatched the game, he was even more dominant than I realized. Like, he was just disrupting the interior over and over and over again. And even when he wasn't generating a stat or, like, a Havoc play or anything like that, he was allowing the other Notre Dame defensive linemen to make plays. And Notre Dame really didn't blitz a lot in this game, which has been not really common throughout the season. Al Golden has really been dialing it up so far, but he didn't really have to in this one. They only rushed four, and they still were able to generate a pass rush much better than they have all season long. Six quarterback hurries, a couple sacks, including a key one on third down, and uh, Howard Cross was the driving force there in the middle of that interior of Notre Dame's defensive line. 
He's really been having a great year, um, and it's funny, actually, just a couple hours before recording this now, I saw that Jim Nagy, who runs the Senior Bowl, put out some film on him, and he says there's not a defensive tackle in the 2024 NFL draft that's putting out better tape right now than Howard Cross. I know he's undersized, but he's been a huge riser as far as draft stock is concerned, and I mean, that's only been helping Notre Dame. His havoc or his pass rush win rate on the year is 18.4% from a defensive tackle very impressive and he did that all with a sinus infection apparently the other night too um that was also reported that he was really sick during that game so a hell of a performance and and one that Notre Dame needed every bit of yeah and now because that the U.S. men's Ryder Cup team they have no excuse because they were claiming that they had a sinus infection well Howard Cross just showed that that doesn't really matter and Notre Dame's defensive line, they've really been lacking like a true star to sort of take over games and just be a game wrecker. We're all kind of hoping that it'd be Jordan Botello. He's been fine this season. He hasn't been the game wrecker that we were hoping for. But now we just got to look at Howard Cross. And if you think about it, it really shouldn't be that surprising because going into the year, you would think, well, who's the best defensive lineman? Who's been the most consistent throughout their entire career? And it's Ben Howard Cross. So even though... He's been playing as well as he has. Maybe we should have expected that going into the season because now he leads the team in tackles and is one of the best defenders on the entire team on what is a really good defense. It is. And uh, speaking of that defense, I think Xavier Watts has to get some recognition here too. A week after a less than stellar performance from the safeties, he really had a great game. Obviously, he had that incredible play on an interception of Riley Leonard, but he also made a critical stop on a blitz on the third down right before the pooch punt that got Notre Dame the ball back. I actually am a little bit surprised Notre Dame did get the ball back and probably one of the most cowardly punt decisions ever, uh, if we're being totally honest. They punt from the 33-yard line, but not like, I mean, we'll get to the kicking later. The only kicker that might be worse than the guy Notre Dame has is the guy Duke has. Um, <laughs> But uh, anyways, Xavier Watts had eight tackles on the night, and he was just an absolute difference maker. And and again, there were so many individual performances on this defense that really contributed to why Notre Dame won the game. Definitely, and he was one of them. And Notre Dame was they they were in desperate need of some playmaking ability from their secondary because I thought Cam Hart had a, had a really solid game. No idea why he set out that drive late in the game. I thought he was hurt, and then he came back in the game. So. Odd use of uh, sub there, but either way, it wasn't Benjamin Morrison's best game. Now, the standard for him is so incredibly high, especially coming off that Ohio State game. He gave up that one catch early on in the game, which was an incredible catch by the wide receiver. He was all over him, but still he missed some tackles, and it just wasn't his best night. So Notre Dame needed someone else to step up. Xavier Watts did. Great interception. He's been terrific in coverage all season long, but especially in that game. So that's a great pick. Um, before we shift over to the offense, I do want to mention Riley Mills might be a little bit overshadowed in this one, but I thought he played a great game as well. And for as good as Howard Cross played in the interior, Riley Mills was really shutting down that read option. They showed it a few times in the broadcast how he would sort of just roll out to his left and be there for whenever Riley Leonard uh, would try to run with the ball. And he ended up uh, with seven tackles. I think it was one of the best games of his career. So really just like you look at that Notre Dame defense, and coming into this season, a lot of people criticize Al Golden. I think the scheme has been great, but really the execution from the players at every single level of the defense has been terrific, and Saturday was another great example of that. It was, um, and, and I know that you're going to get to the offense, but um, as we know, we haven't really talked a lot about them uh, yet to this, uh, which might kind of help to explain what sort of happened Saturday night, but you're right. Uh, that was critical and like another just great performance from that group. 
We'll be right back with Luke to talk more about Notre Dame's stressful win over Duke. But first, I want to tell you about Game Time because buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all of the fun you'll have. If you're thinking about making the trip to Louisville to attend the game on Saturday, Game Time is the perfect place for you. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set. And the tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. So, as we've alluded to, not the best game from the Notre Dame offense, but that was not the case for Mitchell Evans. Nobody told him that the offense had to suck in this one because he was terrific. And I will come out and say I was very wrong a couple weeks ago. You were on the show, and I said that I thought Holden Stays had asserted himself as tight end one following his great game against NC State. He had a couple touchdowns. I was wrong. Mitchell Evans is a certified stud. Six catches for 134 yards. Maybe more impressive than anything, though. He had 66 yards after the catch. Some of that is because of where Sam Hartman hit him with some terrific passes like that one out that he hit uh, close to the sideline was an unbelievable pass, and it allowed Evans to get upfield. He runs with such toughness. He hurt his ankle during the game, came back in, didn't matter. Uh, On Notre Dame's final drive, he made his biggest catch of the day on that third and 10 when Notre Dame couldn't convert on any third downs. And without Jaden Greathouse and without Jaden Thomas, Notre Dame desperately needed someone to step up and catch some passes, and Mitchell Evans did all game. And it was a terrific... uh, back-to-back performance considering he had a great game against Ohio State and then he delivered once again against Duke. I don't think you need to beat yourself up too much for that because I don't think anybody really saw this coming from Mitchell Evans. Um, We always knew he was really important to the offense in terms of blocking, but like the playmaking ability, maybe it was just because he literally didn't get the ball thrown to him last year, (laughs) but uh, I just, I don't, I know that he's a high school quarterback, but you find me the guy that, that, says that I knew that Mitchell Evans was going to be a playmaker in the passing game like this. And I'm probably going to find you a liar. Uh, I just, I don't think that this was something that was on a lot of people's radars. Like not that he was a bad player. It just, that's not what we thought of him as, but you're right. He's been absolutely fantastic the last two weeks. And uh, I mean, Notre Dame needed every bit of what he provided. I mean, Hartman had 222 passing yards and I think he had 134 of the receiving yards there. So uh, that's really all you need to know. We're just at the point now with tight ends at Notre Dame, and maybe we should have been at this it doesn't point matter. a long time ago. Yeah. It literally doesn't matter. <laughs> Mitchell Evans, he's probably a stud. He like, We're at the point now where if Mitchell Evans keeps this up, he's an NFL draft prospect, which is wild. Yeah. Because like yeah. you said, last year, Notre Dame didn't even consider throwing him the ball because they had Michael Mayer, and Michael Mayer is arguably the greatest tight end in Notre Dame history. So the fact that they just had this stud sitting right behind him as a blocker and is now... One of the biggest playmakers on Notre Dame's offense is just crazy, but that's just that's what Notre Dame is at this point. They're just tight end you. I, I guess it is. Um, and in terms of what else they are, um, they seem to just find this way to win these bizarre games sometimes. Uh, obviously, it didn't happen last week against Ohio State, but the last thing I did like is that the fact that they won the game. Um, I, I don't really buy into the whole narrative that Duke 
like deserved to win this game. They didn't score until there were three minutes left in the third quarter. It was 13 to nothing. It could have been 30. Like it's Notre Dame shot themselves in the foot time and time again. Um, it was really, if you look at what Notre Dame did defensively, what we've been talking of, Duke didn't have a ton of success until they started running Riley Leonard either. So I like, I don't totally buy into that narrative. Obviously the, the ending was incredibly improbable, but I don't, you're not going to convince me that like this was a game Notre Dame should have lost based on the full, you know, body of the game. Regardless, I can't imagine how miserable I would be if they had lost that game. And I think it's important to take into account how miserable the team had to be after last, last week's cutting loss. They, they were shorthanded. And I don't want to discount the fact that Duke was too. They missed their left tackle. They missed the starting corner as well. But, um, it was clear that they were very handcuffed on offense because they were missing three receivers effectively and, and two starting ones at that. So uh, it was so awesome that Sam Hartman found a way to will his team to victory after defense got one last big stop. And and now we can still you know have something to play for moving forward here. And the reason they won that game at the very end was Sam Hartman's toughness, and that's the last thing I liked on this one. Um what he did leading that last drive as a quarterback was terrific. Like finding the open man, delivering the passes on time and on target, sometimes in the face of pressure from the defense. Like that's obvious, right? I went over that yesterday. He had a terrific game or a terrific drive there to lead Notre Dame. And then the, the run was great too. But his toughness was on full display. And I think that was the ultimate difference maker in this game because he got hit a lot in this game. And he took some big shots on some passes, but also on some scrambles. Like, it became pretty clear to me that he took those fourth and short uh, or the lack of conversions on fourth and short in the Ohio State game personally because he lowered his shoulder not only on the fourth and 16, but there was another scramble earlier in the game where I was like, Sam, what are you doing? Just get out of bounds. But he was trying to send a message to his team and the opponent that he wasn't messing around. He got sacked twice. He got hit six more times on dropbacks plus the scrambles that I just mentioned. So he was taking some licks out there, and he was not phased. I mean, on that fourth down, he took a big shot and immediately got up and was getting the offense on the ball immediately. And that's just a really tough play, especially in that moment. So I was just blown away. Like, we knew Sam Hartman was a great passer, and he's a good leader. But to put your body on the line over and over again in a game like that was just unbelievable to see, and uh, it just adds to the lore of Sam Hartman at Notre Dame. Yeah, and think about it. If that hadn't happened, the lore was effectively over. So, um, <laughs> you know, like it's it's funny how the how this game works, how this sport works, but it does get to live on for that reason. Luke and I still have plenty more to get to about Notre Dame's win over Duke, but first, I want to remind you about our new show here at the Lockdown Podcast Network called College Football Kickoff Live, which airs every Friday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern on every Lockdown College YouTube channel. College Football Kickoff Live will cover everything going on in the sport and go in-depth like only Lockdown can, including insight analysis from our stable of college hosts covering their team every day. This episode of Lockdown Iris is brought to you by Bird Dogs. I've raved about Bird Dog shorts before on the podcast, and I'm here to do it again because they make you look good. And who doesn't want to look their best? Not only do they make you look better, but they're also way more comfortable than regular shorts that are made of a stiff, restricting cotton. Bird Dogs fix this issue by inventing cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki but stretches so you get a waist limber fit without having to sacrifice movement. So go to birddogs.com slash lockdowncollege or enter promo code lockdowncollege for a free water bottle at checkout. That's birddogs.com slash lockdowncollege or promo code lockdowncollege for a free water bottle at checkout. You won't want to take your bird dogs off, we promise you. 
All right. I think we've talked about the good stuff. And as we know from watching that game, there was plenty of bad stuff. So why don't you lead us off with the thing that you didn't like the most? Pretty sure I complained about this last week, too, but the kicking to quote or ad lib Brian Kelly when he talked about snapping is just atrocious. Um, you can't trust Spencer Schrader at all. And rewatching his kicks today, he just has no idea where the ball is going. Like he kicks the hell out of it, but he has no idea where the ball is going. And I know that Pete Sampson, the athletic, has analogized his leg strength to that of like just a golfer who easily just pipes the ball. That might be fair, but it's more to me like a baseball player that picks up golf who just drills the ball and has no idea where it's going. Um, he did make a 45-yarder, but he, of course, missed that 37-yarder despite kicking it about 50 yards. And to be honest, the 45-yarder that he made, I know he made another field goal too, but the 45-yarder he made, I'm not sure he It looked that. close, dude. Um, I, I actually wonder that I, too. They're like, it's good. Yeah. I'm like, it is? It went like over the goalpost basically. And or and I, I, I watched it again before we did this. You can kind of hear like an audible like, oh, in the crowd too. Like they're not really sure that it goes in. Regardless, I don't think that's a reviewable play. Um, maybe it is. I don't know what is and isn't reviewable anymore. That's another point. But uh, regardless, you're just not in a good kicking, in a good spot with the kicking game. He can't be trusted. As we just talked about, he had no faith in him making a game-winning field goal. I don't care if they're on the one-yard line. I just had no faith. I agree wholeheartedly. I did not want to see him come out there at the end of that game. And we just have to, you know, address the situation. Like, it is what it is right now. Notre Dame does not have a kicker that they can trust. And Marcus Freeman even mentioned it in his Monday press conference where he said that sometimes he's more inclined to go for it or, if, like, if the analytics say to go for it, he also has to take into consideration uh, building confidence in your kicker. I get what he's saying, but in a game like this where it was so close, like I just, I just don't agree with it. I know that he could kick it a mile, but when they had the false start on the fourth and three, like why is Notre Dame kicking that in the first place? It's fourth and three on Duke's side of the field. Just go for it. I understand that you want to give him some reps, but it's a 53-yarder. I know he has a big leg, but come on. Like that's not a high percentage kick there. And I'd much rather, if you're trying to build him some confidence, do it from within 40 because he's struggling to do that right now. And if he has to kick a long one at the end of the game when we literally have no other option, okay, so be it. Like, at that point, there's nothing really you can do to build his confidence. But it's a problem, and it really affects Notre Dame's late game management now because if you don't trust your kicker, it affects everything. And Notre Dame has no reason to trust Spencer Schrader right now. No, they they don't. Um, and you're right. Like the the quote from Freedom Freeman about that they were playing for a field goal there, essentially, or implying that there were a lot of very questionable things and just overall sloppiness that happened Saturday night that made you have some like red flags, alarm bells go off. Like, whoa, what is going on here? And I realized there was a hangover, but. Man, 12 penalties for 70 yards, including eight pre-snap penalties. How does that happen? It's just absolutely inexcusable, and it reflects the coaching. Um, There were also just kind of some questionable, I don't know, personnel usage. I would would say you alluded earlier to Jaden Mickey being on the field on that late touchdown drive. What are we doing there? Like, JJB was off the field for a lot of that, too. Um, I don't 
always love questioning play callers because I don't really know who's supposed to do what. Like maybe it's a matter of one guy missing a block and we miss some things. But what was evident was that Notre Dame's interior offensive linemen were getting pretty much dominated for most of that game. And they stayed pretty stubborn with that. And I was just very confused why Jeremiah Love didn't get the ball more. He had only four carries when he take out the fake punt. And Judarian Price didn't have any, which I don't get at all. Um, it just feels like they really could have used that speed from those two guys on the outside on Saturday night. And that, that felt like a missed change of pace opportunity. I totally agree. And I want to focus on the play calling because that's my first thing. And like you, I don't like criticizing the play caller. If it's just like a, why are you calling that play? That didn't work. Uh, it's kind of like the screen pass against Ohio state. Yes. Situationally after the incomplete, like it, it's not good because it was an incomplete pass, but if they convert that, if Hartman's able to get the ball to Jadarian Price, end of the game, we talk about it completely differently. But the, this had more to do with the trends, and you already mentioned it, like Notre Dame's lack of substitutions at the running back position, especially coming off a game when Jeremiah Love and Jadarian Price both played out of their minds against a really good defense. You'd think that they'd want to build off that, and then you take into account the fact that Duke's interior on the defensive line was straight up dominating Notre Dame's guards and centers, and yet we insisted on running the ball to Audric Estime in between the tackles, and he got stuffed eight times. And I know he's a big dude, and he's delivering body blows to the defense, but at a certain point, running the ball for negative yards or one yard on first down is going to catch up to you, and it did on third down for Notre Dame because they finished 3 of 15 on third downs. But it's really not even that surprising when you consider the fact that their average distance to go on third down was 8.9 yards. Yes, the penalties had a lot to do with that. That sets the offense back. That's not Jared Parker's fault, at least in terms of play calling. But you got to be able to get some more yards on first and second down, especially when the playbook is wide open in those situations. And it was very vanilla. I thought, I, I, I mean, even that's not even criticizing, or it is a criticism of Jared Parker, but I don't think that's unfair to say. I think he'd probably even admit Yes, he was hamstrung by the lack of wide receivers, but it was really frustrating, and it put Notre Dame in some really poor situations, and they weren't able to execute more often than not. Right. The trends were just troubling, um, and you you hit on it. They definitely were hamstrung by the lack of receivers, but I, I don't know, just some puzzling things. Speaking of which, I saw this tweet earlier from Douglas Farmer. Um, do you know that so Notre Dame's gone – 20% or worse on third downs exactly three other times since the start of the 2019 season. Can you tell me what those games are? They actually have no rhyme or reason to them whatsoever, but um, just take a guess. Since 2019? Yeah. I would go 2020 Louisville. Is that in there? Nope. Um, I don't know. I would probably say, well, obviously this Duke one is in there. I don't know if there's no rhyme or reason. I'm just trying to think of some abysmal offensive performances. Maybe Syracuse in 2020. I don't know. I'm just throwing out some random ones. What is it? It's so 2019, the 30-point loss to Michigan in the rain. Oh, duh. Uh, 2019, the 66-14 to 14 win against New Mexico. <laughs> well, I guess they never 20, had third downs, yeah. And 2021, 45-14 to 14 win at Stanford. So just kind of a random stat, but I saw that and I was like, wow, that's really out there. So anyways. Yeah, they could not get anything going on first and second down. And the second thing that I didn't like, uh, and I, I think this plays 
a, a big role in that is the play from Notre Dame's offensive line. And it starts with the penalties. Mm-hmm. Zeke Correll having two false starts. How does the center have two false starts? That's insane. But it wasn't just that, too. And, yeah, credit to the Duke defensive line. They got after it. But Notre Dame's offensive line is part of the problem. They could not get any push. And Clemson ran for 213 yards on that same defense. I know it's not always an apples-to-apples comparison. They might have been lining up differently. But still, they're clearly vulnerable. They're gettable. Notre Dame was not able to run the ball on them at all up until the very last run by Audrey Esme. And they also are a big reason why Sam Hartman got hit as many times as he did. So, I was really expecting a better performance from them coming out of the Ohio State game when they looked really good. It looked like they were gelling, and they just did not have a good performance against Duke. They didn't, and you're right. They did play well against Ohio State. I almost felt, though, just listening to the coverage of our offensive line going into the Ohio State game that the national perception of the offensive line is higher than how we actually probably view it um, and how, like people that are on the beat view it um and they did play well but like i just kind of think this might be an inconsistent group and that's like they have a couple guys playing that haven't played a ton of football but what you like you said you can't have zeke Carell who's played a million games just having those sort of mental lapses and also he just kind of got blown off the ball a couple times too um and and that just really can't happen Maybe they were just physically a little bit fatigued after a battle against Ohio State last week, but that's just something like Louisville's got a really good defensive lineman that we're playing next week. I forget his name, but um, that's going to be a challenge for that group. Right, and I think your next point might have something to do with it because Notre Dame's schedule right now, they're in the middle of that gauntlet, and it gets it looks tougher every single week. Right. Um, it's easy to have tunnel vision here and feel like Notre Dame's scheduling is unfair. I'm not going to profess to know how everybody's schedule across the country is set up, but in any event, a stretch of eight straight games that started in Dublin and now finds itself in the third of four straight night games against ranked undefeated opponents is just brutal. This will be the second straight road game in primetime, too, uh, against an undefeated team. Um, I just don't understand how the buys are set up the way they are within four four weeks of each other, right, basically. And I don't know why that is. And I realize it's something that Notre Dame might not even ultimately have control over, but it's it's very challenging. And I think you saw a little bit of that Saturday night with the lack of energy and with the injuries that we're already seeing uh, with the wide receivers, you know, I know Mitchell Evans is banged up. There's some guys on defense banged up. It just worries me, not really as it pertains to Louisville, but like it takes a lot out of you to get up for these games and then do it again. And it really worries me going into USC. Like, are they just are these guys? Are they going to have energy left? I know it's a rivalry game. I know it's going to be undefeated. Caleb Williams coming to town, but that's just a that's a big ask. It is. It really is. This is a. Tougher stretch than we probably even thought it'd be in the preseason. And we said going into the season that it was going to be a really tough stretch because mm-hmm. Duke's better than we thought. I think Louisville is about as good as we thought they'd be. And I thought they'd be undefeated at this point in the in the preseason as well. And then USC, eight straight games and where we are right now, just coming off of two really tough games. That actually leads me to the last thing that I didn't like. These games are going to kill me, dude. <laughs> like The Ohio State game broke me as a fan and as we've already discussed the Duke game at the end of it I was just so defeated and mentally drained and I was like I can't keep doing this and then the adrenaline high after the win against Duke was great but then once that wore off 
I realized how incredibly exhausted I was. And I was oh, yeah. like, oh, my God. And then I started to think about the upcoming game against Louisville. Obviously, that game means a lot to me being from there. And I was just like, oh, my God, going on the road against Louisville. And they're not the best team in the world. If you watch that Louisville-NC State game, I'm sorry, but at least I joined you in that as well. They're not the best team, but they certainly are capable of beating Notre Dame if Notre Dame has an off night and they just had one. So it's not crazy to think that they'll have another, especially when they have to go on the road again. It's just, it's a really tough stretch. And it's so weird that Notre Dame does not have a bye before USC because they always do. I have no idea why they don't have one this year. It seems really odd. Right. And uh, <laughs> that is midterms week too. So that's good stuff. Um, <laughs> just, just, just throwing that out there. But you're right. The games are really draining. I have been about as tired as I can remember for just like a, the straight week now, basically. Uh I was talking to our friend Ryan Wilson before this game, actually, and we were referring to the Ohio State game. And he told me he felt more mentally and physically tired walking out of the stadium after Ohio State than he did after running the Chicago Marathon last year. <laughs> so, um, like, it's just these games are draining, man. They really are. I feel that. And I got a bad feeling that this Saturday is going to be the same. And we already know next Saturday, I'm just not even mentally ready. But before we wrap this up, uh, what are your travel plans? Will you be in Derby City this weekend? Um, that's still TBD. Uh, like I said, I'm pretty tired. So right now that doesn't sound that great, but, uh, maybe as we get further in the week, I'll decide to go up Saturday morning, but TBD, uh, it's not that bad a drive from Chicago, but it's also not like a skip and no, a jump either. So I've, we'll see. I've done that drive. First of all, incredibly boring six yep. hours. It's probably maybe even more if you hit traffic, but if you do go, We'll get your boots on the ground report next week, and you'll be here regardless. So I'm already looking forward to it. Hopefully, we get to talk about a less stressful game than we have these past two weeks. Yeah, I hope so, too. But um, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> All right, that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks again for making this your first listen of the day. Tomorrow, we'll turn the page to Louisville and start previewing that game, and it should be a lot of fun. This game means a lot to me. Uh, a lot of my friends are huge Cards fans, so I'm really looking forward to talking about it throughout the rest of this week. Before you head out, though, remember to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you're listening to the podcast and follow the show on Twitter, Locked On Irish is the tag, or on Instagram at Locked On Irish Pod. And my personal Twitter account is at Tyler, W O J C I A K. I'll see you guys tomorrow.